happy Monday morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us for our Week 8 recap episode on the Ferrari and Smith podcast. Week 8 in the Sun Belt brought us several great weekend or weekday matchups with postseason implications as well as a full slate of weekend action. App State and Troy both handled business during the midweek to help their playoff chances. Marshall pulled out the surprising upset of the Centaleless James Madison Dukes. New Look Georgia Southern continued their strong start to the season, and Louisiana and Southern Miss each earned wins in a tight West division. Caden, what were your thoughts on Week 8 as a whole in the Sun Belt? Yeah, I was telling the people for the people listening, I was telling Noah, it was definitely a weird and wacky week for the Sun Belt. Definitely some interesting games. Saw some quarterbacks playing that we didn't expect to play. Saw some teams really set themselves up for some bowl contention now. Made things very interesting as far as the conversation of which teams are going to make bowls, which teams are going to be vying for that conference championship. So it was definitely a little bit of a strange week. We saw some different faces, but also highlighted by some really strong defensive performances as well. Yeah, it was a fantastic weekend, and like we do every Monday, uh, we'll start this episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll review all the results from around the conference in Week 8. Uh, then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at each of Saturday's matchups. The week got started on Wednesday when App State took on Georgia State in Boone. App was a 9.5-point favorite. They had a season-high rushing day, winning that one 42-17. to uh, App State improving to four and three on the season. Georgia State falling to two and five. South Alabama and Troy probably the biggest game of the week in Mobile on Thursday night. South Alabama was a three point favorite, trying to control their own destiny in the West. They would fall to a red hot Troy team ten to six. Troy now kind of controlling their own destiny in the West at six and two. South Alabama falls to five and two. ULM went up to West Point. They were a six and a half point underdog to Army in that game. They would end up losing 48-24, to gave up over 400 yards on the ground. We'll get into that one shortly. Uh, ULM falls to 2-6 and six on the season. Uh, James Madison and Marshall, I think the shocker of the weekend, and we can say that for the second straight week for James Madison. This game took place in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in front of a record crowd, and James Madison came in a 12.5-point favorite. They played without Todd Santeo. And that really showed they would lose 26-12 to 12 after putting up 12 points in the first quarter. They never scored again. James Madison, they've now lost two games in a row. They're 5-2. and two. Marshall at 4-3. and three. Old Dominion and Georgia Southern wasn't a fantastic offensive game, but it definitely turned into a very tight game. ODU came in as a 1.5-point favorite in Norfolk, Virginia. They would lose 28-23. to 23. Georgia Southern now 5-3 and three and one win away from becoming bowl eligible. In Clay Helton's first season, Old Dominion falls to 3-4, and four, and they are no longer in the lead in that East Division. Louisiana and Arkansas State, we saw a historic performance. A program record in terms of touchdowns was tied by Ben Wooldridge, uh, the recently crowned starter. Louisiana came in as a 6.5-point favorite. They would win that game going away 38-18. to 18. Louisiana now 4-3 and three on the season. Arkansas State in trouble. They're 2-6 and six on the season. Louisiana going to have a big game this week in the midweek against Southern Miss that could go and really determine a lot of things in that West Division. Texas State and Southern Miss, the final game of the weekend. It took place in San Marcos, Texas. Gaden Shocker here. The only thing you had to watch was the final, about 181 seconds of this game. We saw 14 points scored in those last a couple of lengthy touchdowns. Southern Miss came in as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They would win by six on a late touchdown pass with 32 seconds to go. Southern Miss 4-3 and three on the season. Texas State now 3-5. and five. They suffer their first loss of the year at home. This was the third consecutive week that we saw a double-digit underdog win a conference game when Marshall beat James Madison. 
Uh, a couple other notes about the weekend. Home teams went just two and four this past weekend. Uh, the only team that was on a bye this past this past week was Coastal Carolina. They'll return to action this week. And after eight weeks, it's Coastal Carolina leading the East at six and one on the season, three and one in Sunbelt Conference play. While Troy, after the big win in the midweek, now six and two and four and one, uh, they lead the West. Caden, things are heating up on both sides. A lot of tight games this weekend, and I think that's probably going to be a theme down the stretch. Yeah, they say they remember November. That's the time of year where the most important ball is played, and we're getting into that time period right now. So obviously you talked about those two teams that are at the top of the conference, and now you look at the rest of their schedules and you see which teams kind of control their own destiny at the top of those conferences. It makes these matchups at the end of the year really exciting, really excited to see Coastal kind of try to fend some of these teams off, and the same with Troy going into the rest of the year. So super exciting stuff happening right now, and it's really the culmination of what we saw in the beginning of the season. A lot of these teams had to figure some some things out. We saw them in non-conference play, show some good things, show some bad things, and now I feel like every team in the Sun Belt is kind of figuring out their identity, figuring out what kind of team they are and how they should win games. So it's going to be very exciting to watch all these teams with a little bit more experience week after week after week heading to the most important month of football. Yeah, we're definitely weeding out the pretenders and the contenders right now. And I think as this season moves forward, it's going to be interesting to see who rises to the top. We're seeing that, uh, but expect to see some more. Well, let's jump right into some of these recaps over the weekend and gain much like we did with our preview episode on Friday, we'll go ahead and talk about this ULM game where they went up to West Point to take on an Army team. They would lose that game 48-24, to and they were outscored 34-7 to in the second half after leading at halftime 17-14. to ULM now 0-2 versus service academies in program history. Meanwhile, Army sitting at 1-2. They pick up their first win against the Sunbelt School this season. They've still got one game remaining against Troy on November 12th. Uh, Caden, we talked about it in the preview episode. This is an Army team. They love to run the football. They average over 300 yards a game on the season. We said the sweet spot for ULM was probably to hold them about 225 to 250. That sounded better on paper than it actually was in this game. They gave up a season worst 441 yards on the ground. Here's what I found interesting. Chunk plays were a big thing. The Army averaging 7.1 yards per carry in this game. It was actually ULM's most yards given up. Um, this season, uh, they gave up 273 against Alabama back in week three. Uh, so they definitely got destroyed on the ground. Army had a, a, a really solid plan of attack. Yeah, Army just did Army things. I mean, these teams are very hard to scheme with. I can tell you personally from playing on the defensive side of the ball, Planning for a triple option team is is just one of the worst things to do week in and week out through practice. You're used to getting into the game plan, watching a film of teams and really figuring out their best players, strengths and weaknesses and how you're going to scheme against them. But it's really simple when you play teams like this. You have to really you really be gap sound. You have to slow things down at practice. And it's a tough thing to defend play after play after play. And Army just did Army things. We talk about it running for 500 yards. And it was really a tale of two halves. I think in the first half, it was 17 to 14 going into it. And then the second half just got stagnant for their offense. And Army just really started clicking. And you saw that ground and pound game start to wear on them. You had one guy outside of his gap and then you get a long run. You get the quarterback outside of the outside of the um, the box running and getting loose. And that's just what happens when you play these military teams he's run the ball team so it's obviously a tough challenge for Monroe having to do this especially on the road but I'm sure they're looking forward to getting into back into Sunbelt play and not having to play a team like this and playing some normal teams because they showed some promise but there's definitely a lot of things to worry about especially that defense who's not given up 40 points in their last three games well Caden I for one am thankful that our military leaders are good at strategy (laughs) because clearly uh, that's a big deal. But Army in this game, they held the ball for over 35 minutes, including 13 minutes in that third quarter. They kind of sucked the life out of this game. ULM ran just six plays for 35 yards and were scored 
outscored 17 nothing in that third quarter. It was really hard for them to get the ball back once that Army kind of train started to roll down the tracks. Yeah, I talked about it in the preview. When you play teams like this, one of the most important things you can do is try to own the time of possession and the snaps you get as best as you can. And they didn't get a lot of time of possession at the end of the game, and that really started to hurt them just because of Army style of play. I mean, you look at the second half, only had, they only had one drive that was three minutes long, and then every other drive was less than a minute and a half long. So it's going to be really tough when you're playing a team that runs the ball so well to control the clock and make the most out of your snaps. And they just didn't do that in the second half. It really wore on them. And they have some explosive plays on offense, but just not enough of them. I mean, Chandler Rogers played a good game, but their offense is going to really have to look to make some big plays because we'd look at it throughout the whole weekend and we can talk about it with some of these other games. Team who makes the most explosive plays and gets the receiver open in space one time to get in the end zone or can get a bust open a long run. Those are going to be the teams that win games when you have a kind of a close defensive game in the first half kind of limiting things and it's kind of even whoever can separate themselves in the second half and make some of those plays is going to win so that didn't happen for ULM in this case and they have some stuff to figure on the offensive end for sure and especially on defense but thankfully like we said before they're going to play a much different team next week and a lot of every team they'll play will be much different than this one as far as the defense goes yeah you oftentimes you ask coaches would you rather play a triple option team early in the season or late in the season and generally the answer is we would just prefer not to play them um, you know, you mentioned Chandler Rogers. He continues his strong season, threw for two more touchdowns, did throw an interception in this game. He threw for 164 yards through the air, but up to 10 touchdowns now in his last four games. I think he's continuing to play well. And, you know, as we move on, ULM, they're going to have a bye week next week. So a chance to regroup, maybe, uh, you know, fix some of those bruises that I'm sure that they picked up in this game as they regroup and kind of run down the stretch uh, in Sunbelt Conference play. Well, Kane, let's move on to probably the most shocking game of the weekend. And I think we were both shocked uh, early on when you saw that both starting quarterbacks weren't playing in this game. Uh, you know, Marshall hosts, um, or I'm sorry, James Madison hosts Marshall at in Harrisonburg. It was the largest crowd in stadium history at a little over 26,000 people in attendance. Uh, they scored 12 points in the fourth quarter, first quarter. And then they give up 24 unanswered points. JMU does not score again after that first quarter. They've now lost back-to-back games for the first time in well over a year. Uh, as I said, both starting quarterbacks didn't play, and the herd came in. They were double-digit underdogs uh, after a tough loss the week prior to Louisiana. They bounced back in a nice way. But really, the storyline was Todd Centeno, Henry Columbia. They each were in street clothes on the sideline. Uh, Billy Atkins gets the start for JMU and throws a career high four interceptions. So, Kane, I think, you know, we were texting on Saturday. You really see what that JMU offense isn't uh, without Todd Santeo. And I have to imagine we've had conversations about him being the offensive player of the year, the player of the year. And I think this game really showed just how big of a difference maker Todd Santeo is to this JMU offense. Yeah, I think this one will go down in the history books as the battle of the backups. I mean, we talked before, we were kind of talking about if Henry Columbia was going to get the start, maybe they'd give Fancher a chance, but it looked like that was a little bit more of an injury situation. And same with Todd, we definitely didn't expect him not to play in this one. So it was obviously a, a game where you have to lean on your defense, you have to lean on your run game. And I think when you do that, it kind of favors Marshall in that matchup. And you talk about Todd being such an X factor, and it's definitely very clear this offense is very, very different without him. I think Billy Atkins, he saw some snaps in garbage time in three different points of his career, but they were all very limited reps. And he actually did good in those limited reps. He threw less than 10 passes in all those games. So he was efficient, threw a touchdown on all of them. But I think it was very clear that he's not <laughs> quite ready to be a college football starter that was kind of his welcome to college football moment throwing those four interceptions and just having a, a rough day but no Todd is definitely the x-factor of this team and I think we talked about it if you look at every team in this conference they have some guy at the top of their sheet that you're going to scout and that you have to really game plan for and pay the most attention to and have the most detail on and Todd's entail out of any team in the Sun Belt is that guy 
So I think I'm sure if you're Marshall and you're going to this game, you've been prepping for Tots and Teo all week and he's not playing. I mean, Marshall had to feel a relief, a weight off their shoulders, a weight off their chest, having to know they don't have to play arguably the most explosive and best dual threat quarterback you have in the conference. So it's very clear that the offense is different without Todd. And I know JMU is hoping to get him back soon because this is what this team looks like without him. When you don't have a guy who's so accurate, has a great relationship with his receivers. I think that was one of the biggest things I saw in this game. I mean, only four different receivers caught the ball for James Madison this week. So it's very clear the timing is a little bit different when you have a backup quarterback like that in. So they get Todd back. They're obviously a much different team. Back-to-back losses doesn't look good at them. The first one was the shootout last loss that we talked about against Georgia Southern and this one being a backup. So kind of have a little bit of an excuse, but I know Marshall or JMU wants to get him back as fast as possible because this team's not the same without him. Yeah, it's crazy to think, uh, you know, after the huge offensive performance a week ago from JMU, they now have their worst performance on offense of the season. They had just 118 yards uh, of total offense and five turnovers in those final three quarters of this game. Kane, I think the storyline uh, in this game was running, running the football uh, without these, you know, two, you know, good quarterbacks in there. Um You know, running was tough for JMU in this game. They ran for a season low 83 yards. They had gone over 205 of their last seven games. Uh, What did you see from that James Madison rushing attack? Yeah, obviously we know that the two backup quarterbacks were in this game playing, so you kind of take it with a grain of salt as far as the the offensive performances. But you have to give credit where credit's due for Marshall. They played a great defensive performance, and we have known they had a great defense all year, and that's kind of been distracted by the quarterback play and some of the struggles they've had on offense. But if you look at their defense, they did a great job stopping the run. Um, You saw Percy only had 96 yards on the ground, which it's hard to say that's only what you have. Then you look at their net yardage, and then they had 83 yards. So they did a great job of stopping the run all day and really limiting the explosive plays. Only 23-yard rush was their longest one of the day. So all around for Marshall's defense, they played a great game as far as stopping the run and stopping in the past cost two um, five turnovers I believe four interceptions and a fumble so Marshall's defense clearly looked great in this game and it was against the backup so you expect them to do great things but against anybody the way Marshall played up front and on the back end is impressive no matter who you're going up against it's college football at the end of the day and every team's coming to play and fighting to win so you got to give your credit to them and you have to feel very confident that they can lean on their defense maybe going forward just because you're looking at some of these teams now a lot of them are leaning on their defense to do the good things for them and Marshall was able to do that today and they were definitely really successful in that yeah, you may, you know, we talked about the rushing being tough for JMU and, you know, it was it was easy for Marshall and you haven't been able to say that many times against this James Madison defense this season. JMU giving up a season worst 167 yards on the ground uh, to one of the better rushing attacks in the Sun Belt. Uh, it was actually the second 100 yard rushing game against James Madison this year. If you remember back to early October, they gave up 106 to Texas State, uh, but Kalen Laborn looked good, and that rushing attack that we've seen all season long, even without Rashina Lee, has been has been really good for Marshall. Yeah, and I think on the other side of it with Marshall, you look at Cam Fancher, he didn't have the best game in the world, but I think you kind of have to go with him now going forward. He's playing against a JMU team that didn't have their quarterback, but you look at his performance, he threw 159 yards in the air, which doesn't sound impressive, but Columbia hadn't done that in the last three games. He has not thrown for that much, even against Garner Webb. I mean, the only two performances he had that were better than that was the Bowling Green game. That was a shootout that went down to the wire to overtime. And then against Norfolk State, it's not very strong a very strong team at all and against Notre Dame he didn't do much either and Zach Fancher he provided a run threat for them it didn't show too much in the stats but even if you look at Laybourne's 61 yard touchdown that was on a read option play where Fancher was and had the option to run the ball and it kind of had the defense a step slower and then next thing you know 61 yards in the bands playing so I think you look at their type of play style I think you still have to go with Fancher and most importantly he got the win and that's the most important things for quarterbacks as far as how you stack them up in this game so he didn't have the best performance but I think if you look at Marshall you have to go with the hot hand 
hand going forward and ride this momentum because you got an unmanned JMU team. You had a great opportunity. You had your quarterback to some extent step up to the occasion and do that for your offense. So we know this passing attack is not going to be the staple and something they're going to hang their hat on going forward. But I think Fancher adds enough to the run game and can do enough things to where he can give you a chance week in and week out if your defense plays that well and you have your running game going to win games. Yeah, Kane, you've talked a lot about on this podcast. At some point, you have to lean into your identity, and it feels like that might be the step that Marshall has to take there, Cam Fancher, maybe leaning into that identity a little bit. Um, You know, obviously, we didn't see a ton of pass attempts coming from uh, Marshall in this game, but it was a nice bounce back for JMU secondary after giving up 468 yards through the year. Last week, they give up just 164, but they did face a season-low 13 passing attempts, so take that all with a grain of salt. I was really impressed, though, with Marshall's secondary. They're facing a young quarterback, and they stepped up in a big way. Four interceptions, and they now have 12 on the season, which is tied with Louisiana for the lead in the Sun Belt, which is, and it's actually the second best in the country, trailing only Wisconsin that has 14. This was a big performance for Marshall's secondary. They took advantage of a young quarterback. Yeah, and I like, I've like i been speaking highly about their secondary all year, and I think this was the best performance they had, and it finally showed, and they kind of lived up to that name that I thought they were going to have coming into the season as being one of the best secondaries in the country. If Micah Abraham getting an interception, Andre Sam, those are two of the best guys in the back end on the conference. And I think the, one of the most impressive stats, I think this is the most impressive stat of the entire weekend of Sunbelt football, maybe all of football, 0 for 17 on third down holding JMU if you're Marshall's defense. That's... That's winning defense. Like you can't ask for much more. They got off the field every single time it was third down. That's great for an offense. They held them to under 100 rushing yards and under 200 passing yards. I mean, if you can get that any day of the week, if you're a college football coach, you're going to be very, very happy on that bus ride home most of the time. So you have to give your hats off to that secondary for stepping up to the occasion and getting their hands on the ball and getting the ball back to their offense because that's how you win games. If you're a defense, you want to get your offense to the field as much as you can. So if you get those turnovers, if you get off the field on third down and even making plays blocking the extra point and taking that for a touchdown. I mean, everything was clicking on all cylinders for his Marshall defense. So I look for them to be a very confident group moving with maybe a little bit of a different step and a little bit of a little pep going through the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll certainly have to see uh, up next for JMU. They're on their bye week uh, before taking on Louisville on November 5th. They will end the Sunbelt regular season at Old Dominion uh, and then taking on Georgia State, Coastal Carolina at home. So some time for Todd Santeo to get healthy, hopefully, and you have to hope that he can return against Louisville. Meanwhile, Marshall, they're going to host Coastal Carolina on Saturday in what could be a very big game. And, Gaten, it was interesting, and you said this before we knew that Todd Santeo was out, but you felt like Marshall still had a couple of those Notre Dame-esque games in them. I think you can call this this, and it will be interesting to see how they play against Coastal Carolina uh, in Week 9. Uh, let's move on. Old Dominion versus Georgia Southern. Caden, you and I said on Friday's episode that had it not been for Troy and South Alabama, this probably would have been our game of the week. This game was played up in Norfolk. It was a very tight game. Uh, Old Dominion came in as the favorite, but they would lose 28-23 to at home. The Eagles improving uh, to 3-0 all-time versus Old Dominion. Uh, Georgia Southern now in the first season under... Uh, Clay Helton is now one win away from bowl eligibility. It would be the first time that they've been to a bowl since 2020 uh, when they played in the New Orleans Bowl after being there for four straight seasons. Uh, Kane, we talked a lot on Friday's episode about what Georgia Southern uh, needed to get from Kyle Van Treese in this game, and here's what they got. They got a season-low 27 pass attempts, a season-low 192 yards, um, and that all came after he threw it 64 times in 578 plays last year or last week. Um, he extended that touchdown streak to eight consecutive games, which continues to be a program record. And I think here was a really good bright spot 
Didn't throw an interception just the second time this season that he did that. So I like the maturity that I'm seeing from Kyle Van Treese in a game like this. 100%. You took the words out of my mouth. I think the motto for this offense is going to be no turnovers, no problems. I think if they don't turn the ball over, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot and give the other team the ball, they're going to be all right. And I think you talked about it, it wasn't the most overwhelmingly great performance from Kyle Van Treese, but I'm very impressed with Southern in this one, actually. If you look at their other wins, obviously they've put up more points, they've put up more yards, they've had better passing days, but them really controlling this game, they did what they had to, got a touchdown every quarter, controlled the pace, and had the run game going. I think that's a huge plus for them, and it's almost more promising than the style of play they had before when they were just having their shootouts, relying on Kyle throwing the ball a bunch of times. Having more of a balanced attack, seeing that they could win a game by controlling it a little bit and having their defense show up big for them when they had to, I think was huge. And we went into this one talking about the the great matchup up front we have with ODU's defensive line versus um, the offensive line of Georgia Southern. And Georgia Southern won that matchup, zero sacks on Van Treese. And then on top of that, you had 223 rushing yards, which was a huge plus for them and a huge bonus that you didn't see coming in this game. Got to give your flowers to those guys up front in Georgia Southern because I think they were a huge part of this win. Yeah, Georgia Southern looking good. And as we've talked about so many times, it's about how many different ways can you win football games this this week. As you said, they relied on the run game. We saw 356 yards of rushing offense between the two teams. Georgia Southern runs for 223, which was their second most this season. Uh, Blake Watson, not a flash in the pan. He ran for 100 yards again after that career-high performance a week ago. He's got four touchdowns in his last two games. Jalen White was the big performer in this game. He ran for 138 yards, nine touchdowns on the season, second to Kalen Laybourne. He hasn't gotten a lot of press this year, but Jalen White having a really strong season alongside Gerald Green in that Georgia Southern running back room. Yeah, and these are guys that are used to running the ball a ton, so when you see them not get those volume runs that we're used to seeing when they're in that triple option system and you see the ball get leaned and put in the hands of Kyle Van Treese more, They've been making the most of what they can with their opportunities touching the ball, but none more than this game. I think we saw in the Nebraska game, they made the most of their opportunities. That defense was playing on their heels a little bit scared about the passing game because you have to respect that against Georgia Southern. And I think that showed in this one. We know Marshall has their issues defending the run. And this it really showed in this one. You got to give your props to these guys. 30 carries for Jalen White. If you can do that every week and take some of that pressure off of Kyle Van Treese, that's going to be very big for Georgia Southern's offense going forward for sure. Man, Caden, you briefly mentioned it a moment ago, but... Can we call Georgia Southern's offensive line one of the best offensive lines in the country? ODU came into this game leading the nation in sacks created. Georgia Southern did not allow a single sack in this game. They've allowed just two all season. They trail only Oregon, which we know the type of offense they run in terms of sacks given up this year with just one. This has been a Georgia Southern offensive line that has simply been outstanding all season long. No, Van Treese's security crew that he has, his five guys up front, his bouncers, they're not letting anyone in the club. Like, they're simple. It's simple as that. Kyle Van Treese can just start bringing a chair out there, honestly, for when he's playing in the pocket because they're doing a great job of protecting him. And you can kind of tell when you watch them, it looks like they have eyes on the back of their head because Kyle is mobile. He likes to sit in the pocket and does like to extend plays a little bit, getting out of the pocket and even in the pocket, sitting there a little bit longer and make some things happen and get the ball to his receiver so he can make some big plays. But it almost looks like the offensive line kind of can feel him and they can feel each other as he's moving and kind of always protects him and always has his back. So it's really amazing to watch. And then on top of that, great day in the pa- in the running game as well, playing downhill, getting to the second level, getting to some of those linebackers. Obviously, they didn't get to Jason Henderson much. That guy's in on every play. He had 21 tackles in this game, just another great performance from him. But the fact that you have one of the best linebackers in the country who gets tackles left and right, but you block everybody else on every play and you get 223 yards, that's super impressive for Georgia Southern. So there was an offensive line of the week, offensive line of the year award. I'm giving it to those guys. I have, a, I have love for the way they've been playing for sure this year. And you got to be optimistic about that because it all starts up front. I think everything else is kind of taking care of itself 
as far as their offense goes, working off of that guy, those guys up front. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I think we need to petition the Sun Belt to name Georgia Southern's offensive line the Offensive Player of the Week because they've been outstanding all season long. Another player had a big game in this one, Ollie Jennings. That's kind of been a trend all season long, fifth 100-yard game of the season. He's really feels like he's by far and away the best wide receiver in the Sun Belt so far this year. Caden, you've been talking a lot about his catch volume. He's been uh, you know, picking up a lot of yards with a low catch volume that ticks up this week. He goes for nine catches, 130 yards, has another touchdown catch in his sixth straight game of the year. Yeah, I like to see more volume catches out of him. I've been talking about how he's more of a big play threat for ODU. But Ali Jennings, when you're that talented and you're in the national rankings, you have to get this guy the ball as much as you can. So you love seeing him get nine catches in this game. You hope that it's not just a product of having to keep up with Georgia Southern's offense, which even in this game, they didn't have the pace that they've had in the past. But you have to think, hopefully, for ODU. I'm still personally optimistic about them. I think their offense still looked good. It obviously didn't look as good as it did against Coastal, but I was still impressed with what I saw. You talked about Watson's 108 yards on the ground. That's the best he's done ever since this historic game he had last week where he just had the game-wrecking 250-yard game. But he hadn't had 100 yards all season, and he still did that. And um, Hayden Wolf still looked very good. And then like we talked about with Ali Jennings getting the ball a little bit more volume. I hope that's not a nature of the ball game thing. And that's hopefully something we see more of going forward, but I'm still optimistic about this offense. It looks better than it did when we started the season. Looked good against Coastal, still looked good against the, um, Georgia Southern this week and they didn't get the job done, but especially when you have your defense playing well, I mean, this is the first time Georgia Southern has been hold to, held to less than 30 points all season. So I think this team overall is still showing improvement throughout the season, which is very valuable. We talk about this very important stretch we have coming forward at the end of the season. Yeah, ODU came into the season. They were picked to finish seventh in the Sunbelt East. They've been a pleasant surprise. They, you know, some publications had their projected record at about five and seven. They're sitting at three and four with five to play. So you have to imagine that's in play. Uh, they take on Georgia State next week in Atlanta, and then they've got Marshall James Madison at home, and then they end the season at App State and at South Alabama. So it's going to be tough for Ricky Ronnie's squad to get to bowl eligibility with just three wins right now, but you have to like what you've seen from them, and I'm not going to count them out because they went on a late season run last year, so we'll have to see. Uh, what ODU has in store, that defense has certainly been uh, huge for them. Uh, last thing on this matchup, uh, you know, that secondary battle, Caden, that we were hoping for never really materialized. Neither team actually forcing a turnover in this game. Uh, both teams came in with 15 interceptions on the season, but those defenses just weren't really able to force turnovers in this game. Yeah, it was definitely one where it was harder to get your hands on the ball. I think that kind of speaks to the quarterback play, honestly. I think the quarterbacks made very calculated risks when they did make risks. They went to their go-to receivers and guys they trust. I mean, when you throw the ball to Ali Jennings, you don't really feel like it's going to get intercepted. And same with Van Trees and all of his receivers. They all have the ultimate confidence in those guys, and I think it showed in that game. But I think one of the more impressive things as far as defense goes in this game was Georgia Southerns. I think all season they've been put in the kind a tough position when you do have an offense that throws the ball so much it kind of makes it hard on your defense from a style standpoint as far as getting on the field being confident and having to keep up with the pace of the offense you're playing but they held ODU to two for 11 on third down which we talked about not as good as Marshall's amazing performance they had but that ended up being the difference in this game and I think Georgia Southern forced them to kick five field goals they only made three of them and then when you look at how close this game gets at the end if any of those field goals are touchdowns, ODU has the lead in this game. So you have to give your props to Georgia Southern's defense as well this weekend. Just pay, didn't get to force turnovers like we expected and make some big plays in the secondary. But they played the definition of bend, don't break football. And if you look at the offensive and defensive side of Georgia Southern, they did everything they had to do really to win this game. Well, like I said, Old Dominion travels to take on Georgia State in Atlanta this coming weekend. Meanwhile, Georgia Southern has a bye week before what really is becoming a critical stretch of the season for Clay Helton's squad. They're going to take on South Alabama at home in Week 10. That might be a winnable game. They've got Louisiana on the road 
and then Marshall and App State to end the year. So Georgia Southern uh, on the verge of bowl eligibility. We'll see if they can take care of business in the next couple of weeks. Let's move on to uh, Louisiana versus Arkansas State. This was uh, what ended up being a, a statement type of game for Louisiana. They finally settled on a quarterback a couple of weeks ago, and Ben Wooldridge had a huge day. Um, Louisiana's now won five straight versus Arkansas State. They've won back-to-back games for the second time this year. They started the season 2-0, and and now they've won two games in a row. Caden, this is all in advance of what is probably the biggest game in the Sun Belt. It's going to be our game of the week this coming week, and that is uh, Louisiana at Southern Miss on Thursday night on ESPN2. Um, but before we talk about that game a little bit, let's talk about Ben Wooldridge. He had a huge performance in this one, making his third straight start through for a career-high 316 yards through the air, tied a program or a school record uh, with five touchdown passes. He also set career highs in completions with 21 attempts at 34. He threw for a 55-yard pass, which was the longest of his career, connected with 10 receivers. Ben Wooldridge has come in, taken over this job, and he has put Louisiana in the conversation after a weak start to the year to get right back to a bowl game. They're starting to look like the Louisiana of old. Yeah, we talked about it coming into this one. It was a very good opportunity for ULL to kind of turn the corner on the season, kind of put the struggles they had in the beginning of the season, especially on the offensive side, especially the quarterback position in the past and turn the corner. But I don't think either of us expected it to see it on this degree. I mean, it was an absolutely career day and a game-wrecking performance from Wooldridge. He looked very comfortable. It looked like he's now in tune with the playbook to the point where he can anticipate his throws, get his receivers in spots where they're open and they got a lot of separation I think which was a big difference in this one as well I think Arkansas's secondary just looked unmatched over overmatched in this one Louisiana's receiving core we talked about trying to get the ball to Fleming and Jefferson and those guys were kind of struggled getting some separation within the scheme in the beginning of the season but now when they were playing an Arkansas State team I mean these guys were having a step or two steps on the receivers Woodridge was accurate with the ball and you can't ask for much more as far as our offense goes in this game so obviously we've talked about some of the struggles of Arkansas State but I'm not going to take away from the fact that this ULL team the beginning of the season was struggling against some teams that were kind of the same caliber as Arkansas State and they did everything they had to do in this game and it was a very very optimistic performance if you're anyone in that Cajuns building if you're anyone in that Cajuns fan base you're kind of saying now this is this is what I'm talking about this is what we knew we had this is what we knew championship team and the culture that we had before it's kind of starting to show now and I'm very excited for them on this back half of the season especially if their quarterback and offense can keep playing like this yeah we finally saw the team that I picked to win the west in this game uh they had a huge offensive day they go for a season high 522 yards uh they did it all without Chris Smith who misses his second straight game and they kind of went by a running back of committee there was three guys who went over 50 yards I think that's encouraging and Kane I think what I found most encouraging is You have experienced Louisiana football, and they like to maintain possession, hold the ball. Uh, They did it for 38 minutes in this game. Uh, This was just a complete performance on offense from the Raging Cajuns. Yeah, you're talking about the running back by committee. That's definitely right. They had a couple guys touch the ball and do the best they could with it, all getting 11 and 12 carries. You love to see that, especially with Chris Smith gone. You obviously hope to get him back soon. But the fact that it's kind of the first time you've seen them really have other running backs shine and make some good plays. None of them met the end zone or found the end zone in this game. But they did everything they had to do to set up their offense, and get the chains moving when they had to, convert on those big third downs, and also on first down, get ahead of the change with some third and fourth down runs. So they're, if, they're, if this ULL team can run the ball like they traditionally do, that's going to be they're going to be just fine because their defense came to play in this one. They're coming. They're going to come to play every single week. But if you get that running attack going, that's just traditional from ULL. And then on top of that, get the quarterback play. I'm not saying that Levi Lewis. Those are very hard shoes to fill. But Wooldridge did his best impression of him this weekend for sure. I mean, a five touchdown day game is is amazing. And once you have the run game going too, it's a perfect game. When you talk about Arkansas State, 
it's a perfect kind of game to give you confidence. It's obviously not the best opponent in the conference, but it's still a conference opponent, a conference win that you can hang your hat on and know that there's definitely plenty of worse teams you can play. But I think ULL has some confidence going through the season now, knowing that they have this performance under their belt against an Arkansas State team. Yeah, for as good of a performance as it was on offense, it was equally as good on defense for Louisiana. And one of the things that they were particularly strong in was getting off the field on third downs. They held Arkansas State to 0 for 11 in this game. They had been holding opponents to about 38% conversion rate on the season. But, Kane, this defense had a huge game against you know, what wasn't a very special Arkansas State defense, but to have, um, you know, that mental focus to go over 11 against Arkansas State, that's that's a really strong performance. Yeah, and we talked about it. It's a very wacky weekend. and We had some backups quarterback, backup quarterbacks playing in this one, and James Blackman did not play in this game, and I think we've talked about him on the podcast and what he brings to the table for this Arkansas State team. He's definitely what makes their offense tick, not on the level of Scott Todd Santeo that we were talking about, obviously, but he's going to do what he has to do to get this team going, get them two touchdowns and get them on the board. But then you get a backup quarterback coming into this game and you're a ULL defense. You're, you're licking your chops. You're excited. I mean, A.J. Mayer ended this game with a 25 passer rating, I believe. And that's just a dominant defensive performance. He only completed eight passes against them. And on the back end, they played well. Up front, they did a great job of stopping the run. So ULL's defense has always been a strong suit. It's been a thing that we can rely on week in and week out. And it's just proved itself again against the Arkansas, tape, Arkansas State team that was a little undermanned, a little outmatched in this one. And if you're, doing, if you're a defense, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see your defense kind of lower their level of play when you have a lower level of offense that you're going up against. They look like they elevated it and tried to take advantage of that team being unmatched. So hats off to ULL's defense. You mentioned James Blackman missing this game. He was one of three Sunbelt starting quarterbacks to miss games this weekend. Todd Santeo, Henry Columbia, who we already touched on, and now James Blackman. This game really was never close. It was 38-9 to with 6.57 left to go in the third quarter. Caden, let's talk big picture here a little bit about this Arkansas State program. You've talked about, you know, they're just finding ways to lose right now. They're not really playing competitive football. I think one thing that was overly concerning today was we've obviously talked about James Blackman and this is his final year. So it we got a little bit of a glimpse about what the future looks like and it doesn't look like there's many answers in that quarterback room. I have to question, is Butch Jones on the hot seat right now in Jonesboro? He's now 4-16 and 16 over his first two seasons, 2-11 and 11 in Sunbelt Conference play. They have a new AD in Jonesboro and Jeff Purrington who comes from Alabama who obviously we know the winning tradition there. And you have to wonder if a coaching change could be coming in the offseason if they're not able to figure some things out in the next couple of weeks down the stretch. Yeah, and I think when we talked about these Arkansas State matchups going into the season and throughout this season, I had them slated as having some must-win games because you saw some of these new teams in the conference that they're playing get wins on them. When you have an ODU, a JMU, and a Southern Miss who just joined this conference all beat you, and you've been in this conference for a while and you've had success in the conference in the past, it's not a good look at all. So they obviously have three straight losses. They were un, they were undermanned in this game, but like we talked about, it looks like they're just forgot how to win almost. It's just bad to watch when they do have some good things. It always gets outshined by some bad. So I'm really looking at their game against UMass in two weeks that are at home. If they lose that one, that's when the seat's probably going to get hotter than it's ever been. And I think that that's just a pride game. I think their season's out of grasp as far as being in a bowl game and doing things in the postseason. But if you want to have some pride to yourself and you want to end on the right note and end on the right foot, that's going to be a game to look at because if they don't show up for that game against UMass, that's a one in six team. That's not a very good team by any means. If they lose that one, I think the hot seat's already getting a little warm for sure, but it's going to be on fire if they lose that game. So I'm looking for that game and just how they finish out the season overall. They have four games left and it's going to be tough for them. I think we've saw a lot of these teams that they're playing 
are good teams in the West. They're on the rise. It's the Troys, South Alabama's. We saw them play each other. So no one's going to be picking Arkansas State to win those games, but it's going to be about how they play more than what the result is. I think if we see their team fight and try to claw and scratch for some wins and he can get their guys motivated for something going forward in the future, that'll be big for them. But it's tough sledding right now in Arkansas State. That seat's definitely getting warm. Yeah, you mentioned there's a lot of uh, there's a standard that's been set there in years past, and they're definitely not attaining to that right now. So you have to imagine a change could potentially come. Uh, I think it could come sooner or later if they did lose to UMass uh, on November 12th. Uh, they also have Texas State on the 19th of November, and then um, they have Troy to end the year. So there's at least two losses probably there against South Alabama and Troy. There could be a third and maybe even a fourth. So things could go from uh, you know bad to worse in Jonesboro. So definitely something to keep an eye on. We mentioned Louisiana. Their next game will be on Thursday night against Southern Miss. I think that's going to be an outstanding game, something I'm looking forward to watching two teams that are really hot right now um, and definitely challenging to get into a bowl game. Uh, suddenly, I think the West right now actually looks like the better division, perhaps, um, with some of the strong play from South Alabama and Troy, Louisiana, Southern Miss. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, let's move on to a couple of those West teams. And, Caden, this might have been the wackiest game of the weekend, the weirdest <laughs> game of the weekend. Uh, Texas State uh, hosting Southern Miss. They had been undefeated at home. Uh, they lose this game 20-14 to on a 53-yard touchdown pass with 32 seconds to go. That comes after Texas State had thrown a 74-yard touchdown pass uh, with 121 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, Texas State would lose this game and suffer their first home loss. Here's a couple of things about this game. We saw just two touchdowns in the first 58 minutes of this game. We saw two more in the last 181 seconds of this game. 561 yards of total offense, 176 of that in the final three drives of this game. Um so, you know, 16 combined punts, it wasn't a very fun game from that perspective. Uh, Texas State uh, was just two of 16 on third and fourth down conversions. Caden, uh, this was a weird and a wacky, honestly, you might be able to say this was one of those prototypical fun belt games. Yeah, it was definitely one of the most interesting games of the weekend, for sure. You talk about those explosive plays. Those are the difference in the game. I mean, both teams' defenses played very well and held up, so I'm not going to try to dismiss that because both defenses definitely played well. I mean, you look at a Southern Miss team that net held Texas State to negative six yards. That's an amazing performance up front by those guys. But those two big plays were the difference in this game. And I think when you have games that are so close in their defensive battles, those big plays show up the best. So you got to give your props to those teams because if you're a defense, you can kind of get lulled to sleep if you're having a good performance snap after snap, getting stop after stop. And then you have one play, you have one busted coverage, you have one missed tackle. The next thing you know, you hear that you hear the band and the game's over. So shouts out to those guys at Southern Miss for making the last play and drawing the last blood because they just were in the fight all game. Each team was throwing jabs and jabs and jabs, and they just threw a knockout punch at the end that ended up separating them and being the reason they won this game in San Marcos. Hey, don't look now, but Southern Miss is getting hot. They've won four of their last five games. They started the season 0-2. Um, Caden, here's the interesting thing. Southern Miss, they're not winning pretty right now, but they are winning tight games. They're relying on that defense. Zach Wilkie is doing as much as he possibly can. Caden, those last three wins, uh, they won, you know, this was actually the most points that they've won by six versus error at Texas State. They beat Arkansas State by one, kind of scratched that one out. And then this win that they had against Tulane is looking better and better as the season goes on. Again, it wasn't a fantastic performance, but Tulane up to 22nd in the country. They beat them in New Orleans on their home turf. Um, this was also just the third road victory under Will Hall. So 
I'm starting to really like some things that I'm seeing uh, down in Southern Miss. I've been hesitant to give them praise all season long. I've been being asked to give them praise. Well, here you go. I really like what I'm seeing out of Southern Miss, and I think they've got a great shot to win five of six uh, on Thursday night. Well, I'm sure the Golden Eagles fans will love to hear that from you. They're glad to see that you're in their good graces now the last couple of weeks. But no, you talk about Southern Miss. The performances they've been having lately kind of remind me of Troy. Talk about Troy. If they rush for over 100 yards, they're going to be good. Southern Miss got 131 yards on the ground. It's great to see them going. Great to see them get Frank Gore Jr. going. And then the defense is playing so, so strong that all you have to do is make a couple plays on offense and things are going to work for you. Wilkie threw two picks. He's a freshman. Kind of expect some of those mistakes. But when your defense is playing this well, kind of erases some of those mistakes. So I think they found their formula to win as well. You talk about teams trying to find their way to win. Southern Miss is winning with their defense right now. And I think some of those games they lost before in the season, they were losing because of their rush game. So they have the running game going and the defense now. Those are two very strong things they can hang their hat on now and rely on week in and week out. And now you just have to have your quarterback show up and play. They also only had five penalties in this game, playing clean brand of football. It's all you could ask for for Southern Miss with the personnel they have. So you got to be excited about them being four and three, fighting for a bowl game playing good football and their best football of the year, I think, when you look at them going forward. I'm excited to watch the rest of their schedule and see what they can do because I know we've been on the fence about what kind of team this is going to be, but I think these last couple games are definitely going to show they play some teams in the East, and it's going to be very interesting to see how those matchups go because they have Georgia State they have to play, so Coastal they have to play, and those are going to be some tough matchups across the, across the division, but Southern Miss looks good right now, and I'm very excited to watch them play for sure. I do want the record to show that I have taken Southern Miss to win their last two games in my picks on the weekend, and they have done just that, so... Uh, the tired narrative of Noah Freire not liking Southern Miss can be retired at this point. Uh, Will Hall has proven he's a great recruiter. He does a nice job in the transfer portal, and I think these are things that are going to help Southern Miss. Uh, let's talk about that quarterback position a little bit for the the uh, the Eagles uh, in Zach Wilkie. He just continues to grow, it feels like, with each game. Uh, did throw two interceptions in this game, one in the first quarter, one in the third, but he completed 12 of his first 14 throws. Uh, for 108 yards in that first half, 6 of 11 in the second half. He's now throwing a touchdown in all six games of his Eagles career. They had to give him time to grow up, and he's starting to do that. 100%. You expect him to get week in and week out a little bit better and a little bit better just because if you're a freshman quarterback, you know that you're going to have the game slow down week in and week out. And he's had to play some tough defenses early in his career, and I think he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable. He's an accurate passer. He just has to get some of those interceptions taken care of because it looks like those are going to be the biggest difference for these Southern Miss teams. They're going to play in close games just because of the nature of their defense and the nature of, the, of how their offense plays. But if he can just take care of the football, remain accurate, and not give it to the other team, I think that's going to be a very good thing for them going forward. So I think you're starting to see the game slow down for him. He got sacked three times in this one, which we don't like to see. But I think he's getting more and more comfortable week in and week out. And I think it's really starting to help his team elevate at the end of games because they're going to go into the second halves of a lot of their games and close ones, tie games, down. But if you can get him to play his best ball and slow down in the second half, get a little bit more adjusted to the defense he's playing, and that starts to translate to the first half of his games going forward, I think it's going to be very high expectations and a very high ceiling for the Southern Miss team overall, the better he's playing. Caden, Southern Miss in this game did a really nice job of controlling the pace of the game. They held the ball for th just over 34 minutes. They ran the ball 49 times, which was the second most that they've done it this season, 54 versus Liberty in the opener. Um, we've been talking a lot about Frank Gore Jr., and uh, we're hoping to chat with him on this podcast before the end of the season, but he carries the ball 20 times, runs for 91 yards. It's his second straight game over 90 yards. Uh, he's run for 187 in his last two. Meanwhile, this Southern Miss defense, they also control the pace of play. They give up negative six rushing yards to Texas State, which was their fewest that they've given up um, since 2015 when they held Louisiana Tech to negative two yards. 
I really felt like in in the trenches, they really controlled this game. 100%. I mean, that's going to be their brand of football. And if they do win, it's going to be a lot of the times them controlling the pace and leaning on their defense and their run game. They're a tough team. Don't get it wrong. If you want to play the Southern Miss team, you're going to have to strap that chin strap a little bit tighter. You're going to have to tackle Gennaro. You're going to have to tackle Frank Gore Jr. And it's not an easy task. And if you go against this defense, if you want to run the ball, they're going to make it hard for you. I mean, both defense got to give props to Texas State, too. They both had 12 TFLs in this game. So a lot of plays were stopping at the line of scrimmage. But you talk about the controlled pace and the time of possession. I think that was a huge thing. We think of that, about that as more of an offensive stat. But if you look at the defense side of the ball, Southern Miss defense obviously played great, but only 44 tackles as a whole, if you look at their whole entire team. Texas State after this game, 86. And that's just a product of being on the field so long. So you have to give your kudos to Southern Miss for controlling this game, allowing their defense to be efficient and get off the field, get the ball in their offense's hand as much as they, much as they can, and then run the ball effectively. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. I did want to say one thing about Texas State before uh, we move on to uh, your Smith picks of the week. But Texas State now at 3-5 and five on the season. And, Kane, it was interesting on Twitter this weekend. Uh, there was a lot of calls for Jake Spavadel's job, but – when you look at this team, uh, there is a chance here for bowl eligibility for them as well. They got ULM uh, after the bye week uh, on November 5th, and then they go to South Alabama, a team that they beat last year. Uh, then they've got Arkansas State. So there's at least two wins possibly remaining on this schedule before ending the season against Louisiana. That defense for Texas State has been their calling card all season long. They had another good performance here. You mentioned the three sacks, but also forcing three turnovers. Uh, they're going to need to ride that defense that has only given up 100 points in their last four games uh, inside Sunbelt Conference play. So you have to imagine if Texas State wants to get to a bowl, there is a shot here, but that defense needs to keep playing well. Yeah, they're going to have to keep leaning on their defense. And they're going to have to keep seeing improved play of Elaine Hatcher. I think he had another good game. He had to throw the ball 40 times. But fortunately, just not enough explosive plays and not enough big plays to make it happen. And it's very hard on a quarterback when you can't get your run gaming going. But no, I think if you look at Texas State and Old Dominion, I think they're kind of in the same shoes. You look at their records this season, both three-win teams, not very impressive. But if you watch just them playing, it's very clear they're a better team, they're an improved team, they're competitive week in and week out, which is really all you can ask for with some of these teams that you didn't have high expectations for coming into the season. So I obviously pray these teams can get into bowl eligibility at the end of the season. I think it would be great for their program and very promising. But I think even if they don't, you got to just look beyond the box score sometimes and just watch the teams play and how they're playing. And you got to imagine Texas State from the years I've been in the Sun Belt, this is the best they've looked by far. I mean, this is a team that I'm not going to say people were laughing at, but no one was worried about this team by any means week in and week out. But now you see some of the performances they put together, especially on the defensive side, especially the one over App State being those highlights of what they have going on this year. There's a lot to work with. And I think if in the Tatis, they're only the only school in the Sun Belt that's in the state of Texas, a lot of recruiting potential and opportunities if some of those guys in state don't get those Texas looks, those Texas Tech looks, those TCU looks, those big time schools there. I think it's going to be a very promising year for them going forward and promising future for them potentially if you look at Texas State's trajectory right now and what they have going on. Yeah, I mean, obviously bad loss to start the year at Nevada, but some close games against Troy and some other programs. So you have to, I think, I personally like what's going on in San Marcos. I think they're trending in the right direction in a recruiting hotbed of Texas. So uh, we'll definitely see what they can do in the next couple of years. Texas State's on a bye week, as I mentioned. Southern Miss will host Louisiana on national television in a battle of four and three teams on Thursday night. That one's going to have a lot of eyes on it. Caden, here's something that I've been wanting to get my eyes on all weekend, and that's your Smith Picks of the Week, so I'll let you take it away. I've been excited about it for sure. We obviously had a wacky weekend. There's definitely some potential maybe for some backup quarterbacks to even be some Picks of the Week, but none of them guys really rose to the occasion quite like my Offensive Player of the Week, which is ULL quarterback Ben Wooldridge. He went 21 for 34, 315 yards in the air, and five touchdown passes. And I think more importantly, man, it's just him 
in the process of the season. He didn't come into this season as a starter, had to earn the job, had Chandler Fields, obviously had a little bit of an injury, but he made the most of his opportunities. And I think it's really all culminating, come together for this ULL offense. And a lot of that has to do with him. So I think there's a most improved player of the year award. If he keeps playing like this, he might be eligible for something like that. But five touchdown performance from him is a huge thing. So my offensive player of the week is Ben Wooldridge. And for defense, I had two guys I was looking at. I told Noah before the podcast, after I went through all of the games, I was going to decide. And I think after going through the games and talking about just some of the narratives as well, because we had two great performances on the defense side of the ball. I have to give it to Marshall linebacker, Charlie Gray, eight tackles, one pass breakup and two interceptions, two of those key four turnovers that Marshall had in that game, the linebacking position, those aren't hard, to, easy to come by and he made it happen. So he was a big part of why that Marshall defense won and got that upset victory over JMU. So I have to give it to him, but my honorable, honorable mention as always is my guy, Jason Henderson with 21 tackles. I mean, that's a crazy thing to do week in and week out always in those numbers. Maybe I have some fatigue kind of like we talk about the MVP voting for the NBA kind of no, you don't vote for LeBron anymore because you're doing so good. I might, that might be why Jason Henderson to get voted this week, just because we're used to those 20 tackle performances with him, but they did it against the Georgia Southern, Southern team that really controlled the pace of the game and just the narrative with that one as far as it goes was a, a game that Georgia Southern dominated and shined brightest and so I'm going to give my defensive player of the week to Charlie Gray my offensive player of the week to Ben Wooldridge those are my Smith's picks of the week well I think those are some fantastic picks right there some great performances you have to imagine that Jason Henderson is maybe the guy that will replace Carlton Marshall as the tackling machine in the Sun Belt when Marshall uh ends his career at the end of the year. Well, that'll do it for our week eight recap episode. Sunbelt play continues to bring exciting action week in and week out. The title races in both leagues continue to percolate with just five weeks remaining in the season. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where we'll feature an athlete uh, from Thursday night's primetime showdown between Southern Miss and Louisiana. Uh, we wanted to thank you so much for taking time to listen. We both enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, and we certainly hope you did too. If you did, take a moment and subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you'll never miss an episode. Also, leave us a review or rating if you like the show. It really helps us out. Lastly, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at, at Prairie and Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.